Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Has everybody had a great week? Good. We had a good time last night at the quiz to support Lullaby, and Lullaby is a great ministry that uh, Helen is, is leading with others, and it was terrific. And I just want to tell you that a team from New Life Church came forth, I think, so um, be pleased that we were in there doing our bit, because there were people from other churches and uh, a lot of boffs who, you've met these people who love quizzes, that's just all they think about. And um, so we were up against some stiff competition. And actually, the team that won had Alan and Trevor in it. But they also had the wife of the guy who was posing the questions. So I thought I was a bit dodgy. I really did. But it was, it, it was for a great cause. And uh, do look at those wonderful gifts there. Uh, is it kissy stones? Some of them are made from, but uh, soapstone, sorry. But um, lovely gifts that are really unique. And it would be brilliant if by the end of today that table was empty. Uh, there's some marmalade there. I don't think that is Kenyan marmalade. Never tasted Kenyan marmalade, but marmalade's good anyway. So uh, do have a look at those things because uh, all the, the profits and that go towards this great ministry. Wonderful. I want to share with you something that I've kind of been turning over in my heart for quite a time, and I've simply called it Understanding How Faith Works. Essential to Christian belief is the aspect of faith because it's the only religion in the world that is not based on works. If you think about all the other religions in the world, you will find that they have some aspect of works in order to obtain eternal life or to appease the gods. Now, Sanjay was a Hindu. How many gods do they have in Hinduism? 33 million gods. I mean, can you get your head around that? And you're trying to please them every day. It's just, you can't win. And you will find that every other religion has some aspect of works. I've got to do this to please the God. I've got to do this if I'm going to hope to make it one day to eternal life. Christianity, however is based upon God's grace. It's got nothing to do with how good you can try and be. This is why the scripture tells us it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And you can take no credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Isn't that good news? It is the grace of God that we accept by faith that brings us into a right relationship with him. Now today, there's a lot of confusion and uncertainty in our nation. Sanjay referred to it last Sunday. People are confused about sexuality. They are confused about morality. People are uncertain about political stability, about the economy. They're uncertain about financial security, job security, personal identity, and people are uncertain about religion. I read a story just this week about a guy who went to his regular hairdressers. 
So Bill turned up at the hairdresser, sat in the chair, and Mike, the hairdresser, started to trim his hair and his beard, and they got into conversation. They're wonderful people, hairdressers. They talk about all sorts of things. Most of it's rubbish, but they've just got this wonderful way of chatting to you while they're snipping away. I think it's to try and cover up what they're doing so you don't get uh, too anxious. But anyway, they're wonderful people. And so they had this long conversation, and eventually they got around to the subject of God. And Mike, the hairdresser, said, I do not believe that God exists. Why do you say that? asked Bill. Well, you've just got to look at our world, said the hairdresser. You soon see that there's no God, that God doesn't exist, because if God existed, we wouldn't have sick people. We wouldn't have people dying of cancer. We wouldn't have children that are abused. We wouldn't have people in poverty. We wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have all the bad stuff that goes on in our world. If there was a God and he really existed, why would he allow these things to happen? Bill, as he sat in the barber's chair, he thought for a moment, but he didn't respond because he didn't really want to start an argument. Bill was a Christian. So the barber finished the hair and he thanked him and Bill left. As he went outside, he spotted a man outside the hairdresser's shop looking like this. He turned round and he went back in to Mike, the hairdresser. He said, Mike, do you know what? Hairdressers don't exist. Mike says, what do you mean? I've just cut your hair for you. Of course I exist. Bill says, no, hairdressers don't exist. Because if they did, there wouldn't be people on the streets looking like this, with beards and untrimmed hair, and looking such a mess. And he went on to say, the hairdresser said, well, the reason they look like that is because they don't come to me to have their hair sorted out. Exactly, said Bill. The reason why people say God doesn't exist is because they don't come to him to find out that he does exist. That was a great story. So, unless we understand how our faith works whilst living in this culture of confusion, we're not going to be any better than the next person that we pass in the street. This is why the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. This is what the scripture says. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Jacob read this to us just a few moments ago. And I think we need a fresh resilience to our Christian faith in these days of uncertainty and confusion that we find ourselves living in. So I want to turn you to the book of Hebrews, and we're just going to look at one verse in this amazing book. The book of Hebrews was written specifically for the Jews who believed that obedience to the Old Testament law was the only way you could know God's favor and hope for eternal life. The commandments, the rituals, the traditions made them believe that this was the best religion to follow, 
The people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they thought they'd got the best religion that you could ever follow because they knew in the one true and living God. They believed that salvation came by obeying the law, but they found that sin rendered it impossible to keep the whole of God's law. And so the writer to the book of Hebrews, we don't actually know who it is. I personally think it was probably the Apostle Paul, but we don't know. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the writer opens up their understanding to the fact that Jesus is the better way. And the key word to the book of Hebrews is better. All the way through, he's saying there's a better way than the law. There's a better way than sacrifices. There's a better way that God offers, and that way is Jesus. And the writer is explaining this all the way through to the people. He's trying to help them understand the message of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Christianity is superior to Judaism, and that Christ is supreme, and he is completely sufficient to save us from the consequences and the guilt of our sins because of what he did on the cross. So I want to just turn you to Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm just going to read some verses. I'm reading from the Good News translation. I'll put it on the screen. This is what the writer says, starting in the end of Hebrews 10, verse 32. Remember how it was with you in the past. In those days, after God's light had shone on you, you suffered many things, yet you were not defeated by the struggle. You were at times publicly insulted and mistreated, and at other times you were ready to join those who were being treated in this way. You shared the sufferings of prisoners, and when all your belongings were seized, you endured your loss gladly because you knew that you still possess something much better which would last forever. Do not lose your courage then because it brings with it a great reward. You need to be patient in order to do the will of God and to receive what he promises. For, as the scripture says, just a little while longer and he who is coming will come. He will not delay. My righteous people, however, will live by faith. But if any of them turns back, I will not be pleased with them. We are not people who turn back and are lost. Instead, we have faith and are saved. Chapter 11, verse 1. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. It was by faith, their faith, that the people of ancient times won God's approval. Now, I want to look at this really well-known verse, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you will be familiar with this verse. What does it teach us? I've highlighted it there. To have faith is to be sure of what we hope for, to be certain of things we cannot see. What does this teach us about our relationship with God through faith? Okay, the first thing we need to understand is this. The absolute of our faith. Faith is being sure. Now, I want to do a little bit of a test this morning, so you've got to raise your hands. Okay. How many of you are sure of what you believe? How many of you are sure that God's got a good plan for your life? Okay. Not 100%. That's all right. It's being honest. How many of you are sure that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all and every single one of your sins? Okay. Doing better. 
How many are sure that your sins have been forgiven? Some of you, woof, and others got to think about that for a moment. Okay. How many of you are sure that Jesus is coming back again? Okay, getting better. How many are you sure that you will one day live with him in heaven? If you're not, you better come and see me afterwards. <laughs> How many of you are sure that you do not have to fear death? Okay. How many of you are sure that nothing and no one can ever separate you, I haven't finished yet, from the lottery? <laughs> How many of you are sure that nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Hip, hip, hooray. See, these are some of the absolutes of our faith in God. Now today we face something that we sometimes call truth decay. Truth decay. The absolutes that the Western world was founded upon are being eroded by something that's called pluralism. And pluralism literally says that nothing can be absolutely right and nothing can be absolutely wrong. So we live with a tolerance that says, you have your truth and I have my truth. What's right for you is okay for you. What's right for me is okay for me as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. This is the mess that we're in today. And he said, it's a bit like a football team where every single player has his or her own idea how to score a goal. Even the goalkeeper. Have you ever seen children of about six or seven playing football and they're all running after the ball, have no concept of position. They're all just charging all around because every one of them wants to score a goal and they've all got their own idea. And it's not until they start to be trained that some of them learn, well, I'm a defender, I, I'm not likely to score a goal, and, and I'm a winger, etc., etc. And that's the kind of day in which we live, where everybody has their own idea to do it their own way. And no one's idea is particularly right or particularly wrong. This is the confusion of our society. The Apostle Paul said this, I have complete confidence in the gospel. It is God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews and then also the Gentiles. For the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. It is through faith from beginning to end. And as the scripture says, the person who is put right with God through faith shall live. Romans 1, Jacob read it just a moment ago. So do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Are you able to clearly articulate your faith in Jesus Christ? How sure are you of being sure? You see, our secular age has largely turned its back on God. And when a nation abandons God, it no longer has any absolutes as its foundation. 
been reading a book by John Mark Comer, and in it he quotes a leading atheist of our time who is actually an Israeli, believe it or not. And this leading atheist of our time, Yavol Noah Harari, he describes what happens when God ceases to be the roots of our faith. Just look at this unbelievable statement. Oh, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If your faith is a little bit weak tonight, today, well, have you been reading your Bible lately? That's where faith comes from. So anyway, this guy... He said, in earlier times, it was God who could define goodness, righteousness, and beauty. Today, those answers lie within us. Our feelings give meaning to our private lives, but also to our social and political processes. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The customer is almost always right. The voter knows best. If it feels good, do it. And think for yourself. These are some of the main humanist credos. We believe that we are God ourselves. We believe that we can work it all out. We believe that we are ultimately in control of our destiny. And this is an atheist saying, when you leave God out, you have no absolutes as the foundations anymore. It's terrible, isn't it, to realize where we're at. You see, unless we treat the Bible as absolute, as the infallible, inspired word of God, we will not have a faith that is sure. And when you look at the book of Hebrews, and particularly chapter 11, it lists a whole catalogue of amazing heroes, men and women who dared to trust God, whatever it cost them. And let me just read to you a little bit out of Hebrews 11, the end of it and going into 12 from the message bible if you want to follow it hebrews 11 32 and then into 12 he writes i could go on and on but i've run out of time there are so many more i think of gideon barak samson jephthah david samuel the prophets through acts of faith they toppled kingdoms they made justice work they took promises for themselves they were protected from lions fires and sword thrusts They turned disadvantage to advantage. They won battles, routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preferring something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse of whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. (coughs) We have stories of those who were stoned, sawn in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. None of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one complete whole, their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. Do you see what this means? All of these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit, 
no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. I love that translation. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Do you remember this guy? I read something this week. Sometimes faith will make you look stupid until it starts to rain. This is what we need to do. So the absolute of our faith is being sure. But then secondly out of Hebrews 11.1, 1, there's what I call the audacity of our hope. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. In three of the songs we've sung this morning, we've sung about hope. To be audacious literally means daring to be bold. How many of you believe that you're an audacious person? Three. Isn't that pathetic? You don't have to go to a particular church in Manchester that's called audacious to be audacious. These people that I just read about, they were bold, they were audacious, they were daring. They said, we believe in the true and living God who revealed himself in Jesus and we're going to face all manner of things because we are bold and we hold to our faith. You see, the Christian hope is not the same as saying, I hope it won't rain tomorrow. Or it's not the same as saying to somebody afterwards, I hope you feel better soon. That's not what the Christian hope is about. When the Bible speaks of hope, it speaks of confident assurance. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? And he said, hope means simply the belief that something good lies ahead. And the Bible is full of statements about hope that we have because of our faith in Jesus. I'm just going to show you a few. There are loads of them. Here we go. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So if Jesus lives in you, you have a hope within you that one day you will see him. How many of you believe that one day you will be seeing Jesus? Yeah. And how many of you know that when you see him, you'll be like him? Yeah, that's why you're not dead yet, because he's still working on you. This is a glorious hope that we have. Scripture also says, on God we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Has he ever let you down yet? No. Scripture also says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And then also, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as the breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet and then also may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by the grace by his grace and gave us eternal encouragement and good hope and there's more he says this the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope 
the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And finally, one more which I really love, and it's Paul's word in Romans. May the God of hope fill you with joy and praise as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are many more scriptures that speak about this audacious hope that we have because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So how strong or how firm is your hope today? Are you clinging on by your fingertips? Or do you need your hope to be refueled so that you can be an audacious follower of Jesus? We all go through weak moments. We all go through times when hope is at a low ebb and that's where we need to have that time to be renewed and refreshed and to be with God's people and to be, take time alone with him. Did you know that hope has a name? It's called Jesus. And whatever you're going through just now, however tough your life might be, you might feel disappointed in church. You might feel disappointed in other Christians. You might feel God has let you down. Paul says in Romans, this hope does not disappoint us. For God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit who is a gift from God. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing that God will yet move powerfully in your life and among his people. Don't stop believing for a major move of God in this nation. I read just this week something that Gavin Calver wrote. He's the CEO of the Evangelical Alliance. He said, I believe an outpouring of God's presence is coming. If it doesn't come in my day, I would die believing that it's going to come tomorrow because we have hope in a God who can move mountains. And I want to place my enduring hope in him and what he can do for this nation. Do you live with that hope? <coughs> I want to do something with you now which is a bit different. I want us to say a prayer together. Don't normally stop and pray partway through a preach, do we? But this was in a recent Evangelical Alliance magazine, and I think we should just stand together because it's a prayer about hope. We're living in hopeless times. But I want you to stand with me and just to pray this out together, this prayer. Come on, let's stand together. It was written by Frederick Drummond. He heads up the Evangelical Alliance in Scotland. But it's appropriate and the rainbow background reminds us that God is the God of promise. Other people have hijacked the rainbow. But God initially instituted it to say, you can trust me. You can rely on me. You can put your faith in me. I will not let you down. You can hope in me. I will not abandon you because I am the God who is filled with promise. And I am the promise keeper. So this is the prayer. Let's say it together. Lord Jesus... Hope of the world, we come to you. We thank you that through your amazing love, you have granted us hope to know that you are for us and we thus to enable us to hope in the middle of the darkest trials. Jesus, Lord of hope, fill us afresh with hope today. 
We pray for those who feel hopeless, the weak and the vulnerable, the poor and the broken, the sick and outcast. When dark clouds are all they can see and despair weighs upon them, Jesus, Lord of hope, fill them with hope today. Lord, our nation faces huge challenges. Some are still reeling from the effects of COVID. Others worried about the cost of living. Many having to choose between eating and heating. Lord, in the middle of our nation's weariness, Jesus, Lord of hope, fill us with hope today. Lord, we pray for your church in every part of the nation. Prompted by love, help us to become beacons of hope in every community. Pointing others to the glorious hope found in you alone. Jesus, Lord of hope, may your hope fill your church today. Amen. Father, we pray that sincerely. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. A hope that will never be dashed. A hope that will never, be dis that will never disappoint us. And we pray for ourselves and our nation today that your hope will fill this land afresh through your church, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right, take your seats. Just one final point out of Hebrews 11, verse 1. The absolute of our faith is about being sure. The audacity we can have is that what we hope for, we can be sure about. But finally, the assurance of what we see. Hope is being sure of what we as yet do not see. Are you living with the expectation that one day you will see what presently you don't see? Augustine said, faith is to believe what we do not see. The reward of faith is to see what we believe. You see, all prayer is about believing for what we as yet do not see. It's the essence of prayer so often. We're praying for God to do what as yet we do not see. And that's the assurance that we have in Christ Jesus. There's a wonderful book um, that was written by Mark Batterson called The Circle Maker. And it's all about prayer. There's a great story in it. I won't go through it now. But this is what he said. He said, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He isn't offended, he is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible, they're insulting God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea, or make the sun stand still, or float an iron axe head. And God is moved to omnipotent action. I wonder if this is a moment where today you say, God, I need to renew my faith. I need to have a fresh resilience to my trust in you. I need to be, my faith to be strengthened. I need to come to that place where I can be sure again. I can be certain of the things that I don't yet see. Maybe you've been praying for years for children to come back to Jesus and they haven't yet turned back to Christ. Don't give up because faith is being sure of what as yet you do not see. That is the hope 
that we have through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we conclude this morning, I'd love the opportunity to pray with any of you who say, yeah, I just need to refresh my faith. I need to renew again that hope. I need to hold fast again to that assurance that I will see what I'm believing for. I will see what I'm praying for. I will see answers to the longings that I have in my heart. God hasn't changed. And he wants your faith to rise within you and to see what he has promised for your life. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask the music team just to lead us in a song. But if you'd like prayer this morning, because I really need that we have got to be a people who are bold, who are audacious in these days. We have to stand up in a fresh way. We have to articulate our faith with a confidence. We have to be a people who are willing to stand tall and to stand strong in a world that is standing against us. And that comes through the power of your faith. When you know what you believe, and when you say, God, I'm going to trust you whatever happens, I'm still going to believe in you whatever goes on in my world, then God will honor you and his spirit will strengthen you and you will become a person who stands strong because of the power of faith. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Don't ever underestimate your faith in Jesus. Don't ever underestimate your trust in him. Don't ever doubt that God has called you to a living hope that no one can ever destroy because nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. And if this morning you're just saying, yeah, I need prayer to have my faith strengthened and renewed, just come to the front and we'll take time to pray with you as we conclude this morning. Thank you. Jesus. Mm-hmm.